Good morning, Fellowship Favor. How are we doing this morning, church? All right. I like the fist bump. Hey, uh, it's a good morning because we have hope and we have it in Christ alone. Amen. When we try to put our hope in other things, it's fleeting. It just goes away because it, it can live and die with whatever it is that we're putting it in, whatever circumstance we put it in. But with, with Christ, if we put it, we root our hope in Christ. It's unchanging doesn't fail. And so we're going to sing about that this morning as a church. If you would, let's stand together. Let's sing songs of praise this morning. Thank you. 
church, before you have a seat, if you could scoot to the left, if you have any seats to your left, helps our ushers out a ton. If you'll scoot to the left, and then you can have a seat. Well, good morning, fellowship. Hey, a few of you are awake. Hey, my name is Michael. I serve on the community team here. So glad to see y'all this morning gathered here to worship the Lord together. Such an exciting time to be around Fellowship Fayetteville. I especially want to welcome our guests. If it's your first time with us or, or maybe you're kind of checking things out here, we're glad to have you. Love to connect with you. If you want to drop by the community booth after the service, I'd love a chance to just meet you and say hello and answer your questions about Fellowship Fayetteville. Well, we've wrapped up our Celebrate Recovery series. It was a great way to start the year. And this morning, we'll be kind of making the turn and talking about the rise and fall of David. That'll be our winter series for eight weeks. And a lot of our community groups are gonna track along with that study. And so if you're not in community, if you don't have a small group, this is a great time to jump in. I'd love to help you get connected. Again, you can come by the booth or you can see the website for more details on that. Now's the time. Well, I wanted to share some things with you that are going on around Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, the first one is our Ash Wednesday service. It's coming up on February 14th. When you first hear that, you think, man, that's a long ways off until you realize February starts this week. And so it'll be here before we know it. Uh, this is something we've done the last couple of years. And just as Advent prepares our heart to celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas, the Lent season prepares our heart to celebrate the resurrection on Easter, and that kicks off with Ash Wednesday. I know it's Valentine's night, but what would you rather do with your Valentine than come here and worship? And so I wanna invite you to join us. Child care is available. You can hit that QR code to get more information. Hey, I wanna speak for a moment to those of you who are seriously dating or engaged. If you think marriage might be in your future, I wanna invite you to join us for our premarital experience, we call it Engage. It used to be called Merge. And so if your friends have told you, you gotta do Merge, you gotta do Merge, this is it. It's now called Engage. It's a new curriculum, but it's the same format. So it'll be Sunday nights in the student center, a table with other couples, a mentor couple who's been married for a while. We wanna help you think through what a Christian picture of marriage is. We wanna help you get your marriage off to a good start. Again. There's a QR code on the screen. We can answer your questions at the booth, but dating and engaged couples, seriously dating and engaged couples, consider joining us for Engage. And also, for all of us, we've seen this slide before. Our CR series forced us to think through the things in our life where we're experiencing unhealth, the things that continue to trip us up. This is some material Dr. Mark Lee's developed. And all of us can relate to some of the things on the left side that are signs of an unhealthy soul. And we'd rather be living on the right side where our soul is expressing health. And so for all the young adults in the room, I wanna invite you. If you would like to be experiencing more of the things on the right side, we have something that's kicking off this week. We're calling it, it's starting on January 30th. What are we calling it? We're calling it How to Navigate Your Mental and Spiritual Health. So this is for young adults. Again, it'll be at a table with a table leader, discussion, some teaching on ways that we can experience mental and spiritual health. Hit the QR code, get the info at the booth. Young adults, we'd love for you to join that. If you're a young adult here and you just don't feel connected, this is a great way to get connected. That's what we want for you. We want for y'all to experience connection with each other and with Jesus. 
And so with that in mind, let's go to him and ask him for that this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to worship you, to lift you up. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. And in that, Lord, we would be able to connect authentically with each other and with you through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Michael. Hey, church, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I find it to be very good news that Scripture tells us that God has new mercies for us every morning because I need those new mercies every single morning. And so here at Fellowship Fayetteville, we have a practice that we do every week called a confession, and that's followed by the assurance of pardon. And it's for that, it's to remind us that we need His mercies anew every morning. It's also to remind us of our pardon and our, our identity uh, in Christ. And so together, let's confess this morning. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. And we can feel the weight of that in the confession. But the good news for us, church, is that God did in fact send us a Savior form of his son Jesus and he came and he lived the perfect sinless life and he gave his life dying on a cross and he rose from the grave defeating sin and death three days later so that we can have life we can have our identity in him that God now looks at Jesus when he looks at us he sees our righteousness not from anything that we have given nothing we bring to the table but through the lens of Christ and Christ's righteousness is what he sees in us for those of us that believe in his life death and resurrection and we follow him with our lives and so that is the gospel that is the good news so church believe the good news that Jesus died for us Jesus rose for us Jesus intercedes for us in him we are a new creation in him we have forgiveness of sin. In him we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that gospel, that good news, we get to celebrate life transformation. And we get to do that this morning in the form of baptism. Good morning. So as we proclaim this assurance of pardon, as we proclaim that we are a new creation, we get to celebrate that with Madison today. This is Madison and she's a follower of Jesus. She is a new creation. She has chosen to follow Jesus. And she's here today because she wants all of y'all to know that she's a follower of Jesus. And so she's getting baptized here today. And we're so excited for her and the commitment she's made to follow Christ. And as a church, as a body, we have a responsibility to her, to disciple her, to teach her what it means to follow Jesus. And in our lives, to love Jesus more than anything and, and model that for her and show her what it means to follow Jesus. So Madison, you're telling me and all these people that are here today that you are a follower of Jesus and you wanna be obedient to him by being baptized here today. All right, hey, I wanna pray for you, okay? Can I do that? All right, let me pray. Jesus, thanks so much for Madison and I'm so grateful for her and her faith in you. I'm grateful that she has chosen to follow you all the days of her life and God, as she's here today, proclaiming to us that she's a follower of you. We're so excited for her, and we take our responsibility on as a church to, to disciple her and teach her what it means to follow you. So God, I pray for her that she would be a woman who loves your word. God, I pray that she would be a woman of prayer 
and that she would follow you all the days of her life. And so we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. and I've been lucky enough to know Lily for over two years now. It all started with an Instagram DM when picking a random roommate before freshman year. Little did I know how specific the Lord was with placing Lily and I together. A little background behind Lily's faith growing up. She was brought up in a Christian household, going to church on Sundays and spending her summers at Christian camps. But it wasn't until college that she decided to make her faith her own. Freshman year was a year full of growth and trials within Lily's life. She was trying different churches, making new friends, finding ways to get plugged in, but continued to feel a lack of belonging. I watched a hard season for Lily as she tried to carry the weight of the world while also trying to please God on her shoulders. She had her life planned out and she was trying to do everything right, but wasn't realizing every fear and stress she held the Lord was waiting to take on for her. During her freshman year, Lily and I's relationship was not the way it looks now. We were close, but it wasn't until the summer that we discovered a friendship that was glorifying to the Lord and that spurred us on to be better believers. I remember Lily calling me in the middle of the summer to randomly make a huge decision in her life because she knew things needed to change in order to honor God. After this, we began, we began accountability as we would update each other with our summers, and it was amazing to hear the ways the Lord was moving in her life. Three weeks into sophomore year, we were sitting in the Sonic parking lot when Lily decided to make a decision to change her life. She opened up about every lie she had ever believed and how she wanted her life to change. We got to talk through the difference of God being your Savior and your Lord. Lily knew Jesus. She knew the sacrifice he made for her sake, but she had never given him full authority over all aspects of her life. We processed through what giving up full control would look like, and that day Lily decided she was going to fully commit to Jesus as her Lord and Savior. After that point, I watched as the Lord transformed her life. I watched as Lily took a leap of faith in signing up for a mission trip instead of her previous spring break plans, and a week later sharing in front of her whole sorority that she was doing and how she wanted them to join her. Now a trip that had zero girls from her sorority has almost 10 because of Lily's obedience to the Lord's call. I witnessed Lily's desire to share the gospel with others and the impact she's having on the lives of younger girls in her sorority. I've seen her change how she spends her time and the community she has created surrounding herself with people pointing her to truth and calling her to a higher standard. I get to watch Lily sacrifice her summer in order to be a camp counselor and help kids to know the Lord. But the biggest blessing of all has been seeing the joy and confidence Lily now has because of her dependence on the Lord. Lily is getting baptized today to rededicate her faith to the church, her friends, and family as she continues to abide in the Lord and her greatest, greater purpose he has called her to. Lily, I'm so beyond proud of you and the person the Lord is growing you to become, and I love you so much. Lily, I'm so grateful for you and thrilled to see you take the step of obedience to get baptized in front of these believers today. So is it your testimony today that you've trusted Jesus Christ to pay for your sin and give you eternal life? Based on that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in death, <clears throat> raised to walk in the newness of life. Well, Fellowship, we have one more to celebrate. 
This is JC. I've gotten to know him this year. He's in college, and he's a follower of Jesus, and he wants to walk in obedience to Jesus and getting baptized. Uh, and this is mentor Tanner. My name is Tanner, um, and I get the opportunity to speak for a second about JC. Um, I've gotten to know him his whole life. Um, I've seen him with his family in his household growing up. I've seen him as a high school student with Columbia K-Life in the last few summers. He's gotten to work at summer camp with me. And everyone who knows JC, everyone who's met JC knows that he is a hard worker, that he loves people, he is faithful and loyal. He loves the Lord. And for a long, long time in his life, his intellectual knowledge of who God is um, was something that he let define himself. And what's been so cool in the last few years, I've gotten to watch a heart become surrendered to the Lord. Even as we talked about um, why he would want to be baptized, I got to ask him what that would look like and why now. Um, and he said, the Lord has put it on my heart over the last few years, and I couldn't ignore how clear he made it that I need to get it done. Baptism symbolizes the death of the old self and resurrection of the new self with Christ. I'm going to continue to walk in intimacy and relationship with Jesus, keep striving to do ministry and make him known. I couldn't be more proud of his growth, more proud of the man that he has been, the man that he is becoming, and a heart that is surrendered to the Lord, that his gifting and talents that he is so, so good at uh, are now not just his, um, but continue to be devoted wholeheartedly to the Lord. Awesome. Well, JC, do you believe that Jesus is God, that he is king, and that you want to follow him for the rest of your life? Amazing. Well, then it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Would you stand with us as we respond and worship and praise this morning?
How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you Jesse to, of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass before Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the word of the Lord. You may now be seated. Well, thank you, Andrew, my friend, and thank you, worship team, for all you guys do to make this place a place of worship and focus on the work of Jesus, uh, our Messiah. Are we grateful for that this morning? We are. Um, Well, my name is Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your teaching pastors and pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and what a blessing it is to be with my church family um, this morning on this January morning. I wanted to just right out of the gate just say thank you for those of you that participate and lead and serve with Celebrate Recovery the last Four weeks have been a tremendous season in the life of our church, and so I wanted to give them a hand, if you guys could do that, um, for what they've, many people, even some of you in this room this morning, you picked up a chip, and you began a process of pursuing freedom through God's people, through God's word, the help of his spirit, um, to walk away from sin and to find freedom, and so just commend you for that. Stay the course. It's incredible what God's doing here And obviously, if you're in the room right now, you can feel that there's a few people in the room this morning, and I just want to acknowledge what what God is doing and some things we're trying to do to help the parking lot and uh, to help this room be a better experience for you. Um, We obviously, we've started a 745 service in the last two weeks, have a good experience with that. Um, We would also ask you if you're able to carpool, that would help um, in many ways, um, whether it be just your family, but also if you're a student at university, that would um, be incredibly helpful for us. We've asked our staff to actually, if they're able, to park across the street over here, across 112 in the mornings to make some spaces available. And we are um, in talks with the city on some temporary parking ideas as well. And so just so you know, we're trying and we see this as opportunity, not an obstacle. Um, this is a good place, right? And it's good to be here this morning. And for every person in here, um, you're more than a seat. And God's doing a work in you. And we see that work that God's doing in you, and we celebrate God's work there. And no one gets credit for it but him. And that's worth being a part of. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump in. And we have some work to do today. And so uh, let's have some fun doing it together. It's going to feel like we're in the classroom for just a little bit. If you're a note taker, it's going to be hard to keep up, I think, okay? I wanted to go ahead and just, just let you know, the slides are available on our website with the teaching. You can watch it. You can listen to it. Um, they're discussion guide sheets with devotional extra material that you can read as we begin to work through uh, the life of David together. Um, you can access those digitally, or you can uh, print those off and use them as notes as well as we consider the life of David. If you're new with us in January, just so you know, here at Fellowship Fayetteville, we try to walk through books of the Bible together, be it letters in the New Testament, whole gospels, which we'll do in Mark in the summer, or parts of a gospel section. And then we'll occasionally 
be an Old Testament narrative, look at books of poetry or wisdom or prophecy. Today, we're going to be an Old Testament narrative as we look at the life of David. The rise and fall, and I mind you, we'll know the restoration of David as well. David, he was the youngest son of Jesse of Bethlehem. That's one thing to know. His great parent, great grandparents were Ruth and Boaz, if you remember them from the story of Ruth. The name David simply means beloved of the Lord. He's likely, when we meet him today in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he's likely 10 to 15 years old, somewhere in that. So he's really young. He was a skilled shepherd, a poet. Most think that he wrote at least 73 of our Psalms that we have in the Old Testament. As a musician, he rescued sheep, he's killed a lion, a bear, and next week we'll learn that he takes down a giant that we know as Goliath. And David ultimately was chosen to be the second king of Israel in a period of the life of Israel known as the United Monarchy. So as we flower and we drop into this first scene and we meet David this morning, I want to do a little bit of background work that we won't have to do again every week, but I think it will get us to where we're at in the narrative We're studying Old Testament narrative. Narrative is simply a genre of how a writer writes. And so in the the Old Testament, again, you'll have poetry writings, you'll have wisdom literature, letters, prophetic writings, apocalyptic literature, and then we also have the Gospels in the New Testament. This is narrative. Narratives tell a story. It's really cool how God shepherds his people through different ways of writing. We all learn in different ways, and I think God understands that. The grand narrative that we find ourselves in in the Old Testament is this idea that God has created a people. He's given us the human race to bring himself glory. God is the central character in this narrative. And from creation to restoration, the end of our Bible it's about the glory of God being made manifest and how he redeems a people from it for himself. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, his church. So that's big narrative. In the Old Testament, 40% of the way it's written is in the form of narrative. Now I've got a few notes here on the screen. These are three things, just Bible study tools to help you navigate how to read Old Testament narrative. The first question that you have to ask when you're reading a passage is, Is this prescriptive or descriptive? Or is it descriptive or prescriptive? What do I mean by that? Narratives or stories, that's what they do. They tell a story. They're describing events that happen in a certain time and place. Just because something is being described or a story being told doesn't mean that what's happening is a prescription, meaning it's to be lived out that way for all time and all places. This is really important. In the Old Testament, there's some really strange things that happen in how God deals with his people and how they respond to him and what goes on. So we've got to be careful here. We can misinterpret Scripture. And one of my concerns as a pastor is that we misapply Scripture and therefore dishonor God, hurt yourself, and hurt others with the Word of God. We have to be careful with that. And so that's the first question we need to consider. The other thing that we need to note is that In the Old Testament, when we talk about narrative, um, it's illustrating doctrine or theology. You know, it's real easy when Paul makes a statement in the New Testament, it's really clear. He's teaching 
doctrine, or he's saying a truth about God in the Old Testament in a narrative, you actually see theology or doctrine in play, being played out in life. It illustrates who God is and how he interacts with his people, illustrates who man is and how we respond to God. We see that in narrative. And then I just kind of made this phrase up. There's probably a better way to say it, but we also understand that in Old Testament narrative, it's God-inspired. We here at Fellowship Fayetteville believe every word of God, inspired by him, it's breathed out by him. The writers wrote as they were superintended or carried along by the Spirit of God. God-inspired, authorial, they have an author, editing. Now, don't let that word edit run you off or scare you. In fact, the editing that the authors choose to use in Old Testament narrative, they actually keep things in there that you would think they would take out if they're wanting this thing to look good or this person to look good. All it means is that the point of the author's intent in Old Testament narrative is to tell the story, the nation, God's people, Israel. It's not designed to be a comprehensive world history of everything that's happening in the world with every nation. What it does speak to in that space is truthful, but that's not the intent. The intent is to still tell the story and the glory of God through this redemptive plan that he has through his people, Israel. And so the editor or the author, if you will, makes judgment calls in this story and uses language like covenant to explain how God interacts and communes with his people. And so you'll see that. And so those are a few notes. We won't have to dig into that every week, but it's going to come up over and over again. And so we need to have be careful with how we read narrative. Now, just on a pastoral note, I'll just admit, 37 years ago, when I experienced what some of these has experienced through baptism, and I began to follow Jesus, um, 37 years ago, I had some questions. Guess what? I have way more now than when I started. If you have questions, if we study through um, the life of David these next few weeks, write those down. But I will say this. I also have more confidence and calm and trust and peace in God's sovereign plan to redeem a people for himself and work out a plan that's going to bring him glory than I did 37 years ago. I'm more confident in that. Less answers, more confident in the one who has them. So rest in that as we work through that. We're going to read through some things that are really difficult to read um, on some of our weeks. Some of the themes that you're going to see, um, just there's more, but these are some of the primary ones. I've noted the glory of God. We're going to see this in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings, and some of the Psalms in our study, the life of David. Covenant faithfulness. God makes a covenant to Abraham, to Moses, to David. A lot of what drives God's relationship with his people is his faithfulness to this covenant when they are not faithful. You're going to be introduced to the Ark of the Covenant. What does that mean and what is that? Some of you have never heard of that. The Ark of the Covenant is a representation of worship that's supposed to be happening that captures the presence of God with his people. You're going to see the consequences of sin in David's life, personal sin, but also what happens when nations disobey and deny who God is and what he has for them. And then you're going to see this idea of kingship in our story. If you're more of a linear thinker and you need a timeline, where are we at in the biblical narrative? 
I would just note that we, this is part of what we teach in Panorama, Panorama of the Bible. It's a class that actually starts today at 1045 in the classroom. So if you're a linear thinker, this is kind of how we set it up. The first part of Genesis is what we call prologue. God is the main character. We're introduced to Adam and Eve, Noah. We have creation. We have the fall of man. We have the flood that happens, and then the Tower of Babel. Then we meet the patriarchs to finish out Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then we have this redemption scene that begins in Exodus where God sets his people free, and you meet a man named Pharaoh. Moses is the deliverer. He sets them free from slavery. That's in Exodus and Leviticus. We're introduced to this idea of Passover and what that will point us to in the cross. They're redeemed, and they wander in the desert, Numbers and Deuteronomy. We understand God gives them a law to take care of themselves, to relate to him, to prepare them to enter the land. And then in Joshua, we have conquest. They go in, they take the land over, they find places to live, and then we have the book of Judges. Judges, some good judges and some bad judges, but it's how they are ruled in this time and season. And what happens to the hearts of the people is what we call apostasy, a falling away if you will. And then we have this verse in Judges before we get to Samuel here. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And hear this statement. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, I know all that's a lot to take in. But if you're discipling someone in here and you're trying to multiply your life as a follower of Jesus, it's good to get handles on beginning and end of the narrative and where certain parts fit. I want to encourage you to take the timeline, sit down with someone and repeat it. Take 90 seconds. Take two minutes and walk through the narrative of this section of the scripture. Begin to reproduce so that what you're learning in here, you're passing on to others. In this time of the judges that we find ourselves in here, there was a corrupt priesthood. Judges were dishonest. There was idolatry in the land. And we meet a man named Samuel as we begin 1 Samuel here. And Samuel's a kind of a transition character. He's like a judge, a, a priest, and a prophet, all wrapped up into one. And he's helped identify the first king, who would be King Saul. There's a lot we could say about Saul, but the reason they went after Saul and they found him is they wanted a king, the nation of Israel, like all the nations around them. And this is what is said about that in 1 Samuel 8. Verse 7, the Lord says, listen to the, what the people are saying to you, Samuel. It's not you they've rejected, but it's me. This is the first, by the way, first ever, it's not you, it's me conversation. And the Lord has it. Unfortunately, it's a rejection of him and what he has for them. See, he brought them out of slavery. They persist in their sin. They don't trust him for outcomes. They forsake him. They serve other gods. God says to Samuel, warn them that this kind of kingship by a human could lead to what you might call indentured servitude, something that's not as enjoyable as you might think. They persist. The Lord says, give them a king. And you see there in verse 20 of chapter 8, they want to be like all the other nations with a king to do what? To lead us and to go fight our battles for us. 
You begin to see a nation's heart turn away from the Lord to trust in man in the power and the might of military and not in the God who can save. That's going to be a theme that you'll see all through the kings and kingdoms, specifically in this interaction with Saul and David. They had a good desire for a king, but a wrong motive. God wanted to be the one who would fight their battles. And so we transition to this kingship season in the life of Israel. We meet a man named Saul in chapter 9. This is what was said about him. He was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people more handsome. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all the people. And as we fly over the first part of his life to get to chapter 16 here, this is what was said about Saul in chapter 13. This is what Saul was marked by. He says, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Because of that, I'm going to remove the kingdom from you. I have now sought a man after my own heart. And this phrase is going to mark our series over the next eight weeks. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart in human kingly form in the life of David? This is the man that God seeks to lead the people of Israel. Now, just just remember this one thing about Saul. Saul looked the part, but without the heart. At the end of the day, the great miss for him and his leadership, he always seemed to be doing end arounds on the word and the commands of God, adding to them, not fully following through on them and what God said. And that was the big miss. And so God's looking for someone who would walk with him. And in our outline today, if you're taking notes, there's just three scenes that'll push us through this little section of scripture to get our series going. The rejection, the choosing, and the anointing of this new king. We pick it up in chapter one here that it was read. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn, Saul, for him? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, we got to move on. I want to send you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. It's time to move on, Samuel. I've got another way. He makes a way for Samuel to go to Bethlehem and stay in the good graces of Saul, who's the present king. And then we have this scene where a new king is about to be chosen. He says, when you get there, invite Jesse to the sacrifice in verse 3 there. You're to anoint the one that I indicate. Now, this is key right here. Verse 4 says, Samuel did what the Lord said. Let's not miss the simplicity of that statement for every person in this room that claims Jesus as king. Samuel did what the Lord said. He's doing what Saul didn't do, what didn't mark Saul's life. And so Samuel's being faithful in the details here. He goes on, he invites Jesse and his sons to this sacrifice and this meal They see one brother, and over the next six to eight verses, seven different sons are presented to him, and the Lord says, no, none of these are the future king. And then we're introduced here in this passage to a guiding principle, I think, that will help our time here in the study of David. Verse seven, do not consider when you're choosing a king, you just saw one that you thought looked the part, 
Do not consider his appearance or height. For I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at what? The outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Which, by the way, if you're a parent in here, this is a great verse. I mean, teach your children the context of it. This is a great verse to memorize for you and your prayer life as a parent, especially if they're in their formative years trying to figure out their esteem. Um, I know Pam and I, I actually, I laminated it in like 48 font. And I put it, this verse, on their sink in the mornings because I wanted my son's first words that they see or hear to be what God thinks about them and how he sees them. So if you're a parent in here, I'm giving you a life hack here. Use this. Lean into the words of God here so that they're those those moldable hearts, that they're, they're being molded by culture, by what? Appearance. And some of you are struggling with that right now. Everything about your life is defined on what's on the outside, not what's on the heart. Is this not applicable for us today? Use this to pray over, determine your esteem rooted in how God sees you. Now, we have a few clues um, in the scripture. They're not all in our passage today, but I didn't want to miss the contrast. When we talk about appearances, these are the things that the nation of Israel struggled with. These are the things that they looked at for rescue, to trust in, for strength, for might. These are some of those things. They always wanted a human who looked the part, the outside. They were commanded, the kings were, in other passages, they were commanded not to build great armies of horses so they would trust in military might instead of the Lord, their God. They trusted in alliances or treaties. In fact, the kings that would intermarry To ratify treaties with pagan nations, they would invite pagan gods into the nation of Israel, and idolatry would happen. That's what's going on there. They were told not to build great storehouses of gold and silver to trust in wealth, the pragmatism of one's intellect or reason. Many of them did end arounds on God, and they went outside the covenant community to get thoughts on how to lead and how to make decisions. Isn't it not this way still? Today, are these the end arounds that we do on the Lord? And instead, considering the heart of one, we look at the outward appearance. This is what they battled in David's day. But the Lord says, I found a man after my own heart, and I look at the heart. And as we look at the life of David, these are the, there's more, but these are five characteristics that capture a man after God's own heart. You see David, and we'll see it next week, he lived for the glory of God and not his own. Now, to be fair, if we all got that one thing right every day, this room would be different in terms of how we see life and our testimony outside these walls. He lived for the glory of God. He had a humble posture. He understand who he understands who he is in light of who God is. He surrenders to God's word. In fact, he subjects himself to unjust authority. 
He has grief over sin. Once he's found out, there's a lot of grieving. He gives us some psalms to navigate how to handle that. He has a dependent skill. He knows that what he's good at, he wouldn't be good at unless the Lord Lord had gifted him at that. And then we see him. Ultimately, a man after God's own heart trusts in the promises of God and holds true to the covenant that God will follow through and lives his life in light of that. These are characteristics of the heart. You see, these are characteristics of character. When you go to the Old Testament, when we're selecting elders, most of the qualities in 1 Timothy and Titus that speak to the kind of person that can lead a church, most of them, about 90% of them speak to characteristics of who a person is, not what they do in skill. God is after the heart for those that would lead his people. The other sons have passed over. David is in the fields tending the sheep. He's invited to come in, and we have this scene called the anointing. He sends for him. He brings him in, describes him. He had a good appearance, but there was something else there. You, depending on what version you're using, the idea is it's speaking of his complexion and his eyes. But the Lord says, rise and anoint this one. Samuel takes the horn of oil. He anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, and this is key with David, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And then Samuel goes to Ramah. And Samuel would fade into the background at this point. And so we have a new king that has been anointed, but not yet is reigning and ruling as we finish our narrative today. It's important to understand when we throw around words like anointed, what do they mean in their context? In the Old Testament, this is how you determine what anointing looks like, and we see this in the life of David. Anointing by God is initiated by God, not by man, for God's covenant purposes. So we see that happening here. Anointing always carries with it a sense of God's presence. He is with them. And an anointing always enables supernatural power to accomplish God's purposes that humans can't accomplish in the flesh. So we see an anointing with God's purpose, his presence, and his power would be upon David. And there would be something different about him. And what we'll learn from David in our series that God desires leaders of character, leaders of heart, to shepherd his people. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? I encourage you to go back and use the slides. If you need to slow down, catch your notes up, those kind of things, there's going to be some incredible narratives that we get to unpack as we walk through this. But this is what I don't want us to miss. Narratives are not designed for you to walk away with a moral lesson or some cryptic idea of what really happened more than what the text actually says. We have to be careful with that, okay? We've talked about that. But what Old Testament narratives do is they lead us to and they leave us longing for something better because of the human miss. And we even see that in a man after God's own heart here in David. And so my hope and prayer for us as a church the next eight weeks is that 
we'll have a common language to understand God's bigger redemptive story that points us to a greater king. You see, just as Israel longed for a king, I actually think we still have that longing in us. There's something in us that longs for, even in our present day, a king to set things right and to rule and reign with integrity and justice, someone that we can trust. Do you feel that in our nation today? Is there something amiss? Is there something that we long for that says there's got to be something better? And so they had a great desire. They looked for the person who looked the part. But in David, we're going to long for a king, someone who could be trusted, who would come in David's lineage and hear this. He would suffer under unjust accusation. He would model loyal friendship unto death. He would be called shepherd, the good shepherd. His name is Jesus. Matthew begins, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The covenant promises being kept by God. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. You see, David is going to remind us of this, and it'll be obvious that he's much lesser than the true king that would come. Jesus was looked over. His appearance would not win the day. His choosing would not meet human expectations. But remember our slide about a band after God's own heart? Consider it in light of who Jesus is. He says in John 17, I've glorified you on earth, Father. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. The whole direction of his life was a deference to the glory of the Father. He lived with a concern for the glory of God. He had a humble posture. In fact, one of the verses that marks his life in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He walked with a humble posture, always submitting to the will of the Father. He even subjected himself to unjust authorities. You see, Jesus also had a grief over sin. Unlike David, he hadn't committed it. You know who his sin he grieved over was? Yours and mine. See, a heart for God grieves over sin, and Jesus did that. Over and over again, Jesus would wake up early in the morning and go out to be alone, alone with his father. He had a dependence, a trust on his father and he had a trust in God's promises. He made his way to the cross that God was working the grand plan of redemption. Based on that trust, he would act in obedience, make it to the cross, knowing that resurrection was coming. His name is Jesus, and he's the true king. He's the Messiah. He's the son of David, the one that this narrative will point us to. We will not forget this week to week. It's because of that, in his name, that we can now pray. You pray with me. Father, for each person in here this morning, um, and on behalf of them, they're my church family, we posture ourselves under your word, 
under you, our sovereign God, to work this redemptive plan for your glory. And in you, we find our rest. God, I pray that you would give us insight and clarity and understanding to understand this narrative. God, I pray that you would uh, make us a people who walk after your own heart, submitted to your authority. Would you receive great glory from our lives this week? Be gracious to us as we walk through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we respond and worship this morning. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring.
goodness keeps following us, keeps running after us. Okay, so as we leave this morning, let's rejoice in that, that God does not leave us. He is with us always. Church, if you would like to take communion through the doors on your left, it is available. If you'd like to pray with someone, the prayer room is available through the doors on your right. Have a great week of worship, and we'll see you next week.